This is Saving Grace, Living in the Light of God's Love, a broadcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. And now, our program. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's program. According to the 2022 World Watch List, published by Open Doors, over 360 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. That is one in seven Christians worldwide. Just this past year, nearly 6,000 Christians were killed for their faith. Over 5,000 churches were attacked and 4,765 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. Current Christian persecution and genocide levels are higher now than in all of history. While God in His grace prepares us through His Word for times like these, our guest today will take us back to Thessalonica to glean more from the early church in that persecuted region. Scott Pollock is an adjunct professor at Grace School of Theology. He began serving God in student ministry during his college years at Texas A&M University. After graduating, he served as a senior high student pastor before pursuing and earning a master's in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. During his training at DTS, Scott was mentored by Dr. Dave Anderson, founder of both Faith Bible Church in the Woodlands, Texas, and Grace School of Theology. Dr. Anderson invited Scott to join the pastoral team at Faith as a teaching pastor, and then upon Dr. Anderson's retirement, Scott began his 12 years of service as lead pastor of Faith. He's about to begin his doctorate at Grace School of Theology and currently is enjoying time with his family and traveling, preaching, coaching, and serving the local church in the areas of discipleship and leadership. Welcome back, Scott. Thank you so much for having me again. Well, we had such a great time last time, and <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, today's discussion. You know, uh, I shared statistics about persecution globally, but I don't want our listeners to think that we are immune here in America to persecution, because I think sometimes we are able to shut out persecution thinking, well, it's never going to happen here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've shared that it all starts with a war of ideas. So where are we right now, Scott, and what are you observing that concerns you about our freedoms here in America? Wow, that's a great question. There are, there are so many things that are concerning to me, but I, I think I'd like to start with just saying that it's a it's a different style of a approach or persecution in our day than it may have been just 50 or 100 years ago you know so as as an example the bolshevik revolution in russia um, over 150 million people many of those christians died mm-hmm. not a lot of people talk about that revolution right. um, it was very clear to be uh, uh, what we would call today maybe a hard totalitarian regime and switch and it had happened brutally um, and quickly. Mm -hmm. Now, today, many see 
many writers and Christians and non-Christians mm-hmm. see uh, a slower, soft totalitarian shift in our culture in, in America and in the West. That's just one example of how things are many in many ways the same, but they are yeah. have changed. A, a, a friend and mentor of mine has reminded me for years that the the devil is not so much creative as he is just persistent. Mm. He tries the same things over and over again that we see all the way back in Genesis chapter mm-hmm. three. Did God really say? Is God really that good? I I tell you that He's holding out on you. The better life is to leave God behind and become your own God, mm. and so. That is still very prevalent today. Yes. I think when we see yes. the the generations, most of the generations that are walking today, boomers, Gen X, mm-hmm. uh, millennials, Gen Z. I don't know what we're going to call the next mm. generation. <laughs> um, it, I, I shudder to think. You know, I've I've told people uh, in churches that if they asked me to name the next generation, the youngest ones here, uh, it may be something like the disintegration Mm. generation because all moral codes, all standards have just been blurred or totally erased. And so it's going to be really hard for them. But when we look at cultural shifts, Mm -hmm. we talk about Mm -hmm. modernity, um, coming out of the Renaissance, um, that um, transitions at some point. Culture changes; it changes rather slowly, um, and usually the frontier of cultural change is academia, the the university schools, mm-hmm. the thinkers um, for society. Um, those influence government and literature and art and all of the things that really help shift and identify a culture. So into postmodern culture, which we are really no longer in, we um, have moved from postmodern culture to really what is a post-Christian culture and what we see that in Europe. And we're a little behind Europe. We're catching up with Europe. We used to be several uh, decades at least um, behind Mm -hmm. Europe, but we seem to be catching up. And when you when you draw um, dis, um, lines of intersection between generational um, values which are shifting mm-hmm. and the cultural um, dynamics moving from post modernity to post Christian culture, mm-hmm. it is um, alarming to say the least. And so, wow. w- what I find is that mm-hmm. we are more polarized today in the yeah. West and more entrenched than perhaps we've been in America, at least since the Civil War. And um, that is all around ideas. It's all about ideas. So um, no one, as I mentioned in the last podcast last week, no one seems to be willing to change their view. We're just getting more and more entrenched in our view. um, And... um, we're drawing sides and drawing lines around everything. Oh, yeah. And this yes. war of ideas is fragmented. It's hard to tell what's north and south, yeah. what's east and west, um, what's up and down. And it, um, it, it in, in many ways, it, it feeds and breeds off of disorientation. So um, it's a very, very difficult time. It truly is. And, and, you know, we're feeling it even in our family, Scott. Absolutely true. The, the division uh, even there. A uh, lot of heartbreak right now. Well, uh, over the last many years, just um, we'll take a couple of things, politics and um, COVID. Yeah. I have, as a pastor, mm-hmm. walked with dozens of families mm-hmm. that were divided 
over those two issues or one yes. or the other. Yes. The way we handle this, the way we handle that. Husband versus wife, parents versus children. And many of them um, became estranged for yes. a time. Yes. And yes, you're right. It is in our very living room today. So it just, again, stresses the need for us to look at God's word and how we are to respond appropriately with grace, with love mm-hmm. to those who are who have different ideas. Uh, you know, last week you set the stage for our discussion of the persecuted church at Thessalonica and Paul's commendation of the believers there for their work of faith, their labor of love, their hope in the Lord. Uh, let's start today with a discussion of insight that we gain from 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10, if we could, Scott. As, so we can learn as much as we can from those believers just in those few verses. There's so much there. Yeah, there uh, walk, yeah. us, walk us through those, if you would. Yeah, chap- chapter 1, verse 6, um, Paul tells this young church, again, who has borne the brunt of the anger that was directed at Paul, but he was run out of town. And now Um, has been reallocated to them. He says, you also became imitators of us. And this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy who were there. And of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. We can stop right there. The, The Lord received a lot of persecution. And he even said, when they call me Beelzebub, what are they going to call you? And, and remember the world hated me before it hated you. We all say we want to be like Jesus. Um, what part exactly, you know, (laughs) right? right. right. The part where your brothers thought you were crazy Mm. or your disciples abandoned you in the garden, Mm. um, where there was none around you, you know, where, Mm. um, the religious leaders of the day called you uh, a heretic rebel. I mean, those, those are hard things to approximate, but that's part and parcel with becoming like Jesus. We will be misunderstood. Mm-hmm. We will be misaligned mm-hmm. and maligned. And um, that is that is part of discipleship. But he says, so you've also become imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. Um, so times were very, very tough for the church yeah. at Thessalonica um, in many ways, exactly like they are for us today in mm-hmm. in America, in the West, and even perhaps more so in many countries around the world, countries that um, that home the people who will be listening to this podcast. And so um, we, we see, that's just the first verse. There's much, much more. And that verse ends with, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, which stands in, in beautifully resplendent contrast. Doesn't it? <laughs> To this tribulation and joy, and uh, that's that's what I mentioned last week when we said when I said that persecution has a way of purifying our values. Mm. It burns away the dross, you know. And just as an example, think of the um, unexpected emergency room visit, mm. something dire, something drastic. Yeah. There, um, the highest values that you have in your life mm. become crystal clear. Mm-hmm. I just want my family around me. I yeah. want this family to be okay. I'd rather be around the dinner table um, having a conversation than anything else. That's all I want. And so um, you're not worried about all the frivolous things anymore. That's and right. so pain and suffering and persecution has a way of purifying those things. Um, and this is what um, Paul is mentioning. That has a way of producing joy that um, we don't produce ourselves, of course, but that the Holy Spirit gives us joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And yeah. so Um, He continues in that long passage um, to congratulate them and say that this combination, the simple combination, 
of incredible pain and suffering persecution that produces joy and deepens your faith, doesn't doesn't take it away or crumble it, has made your story famous over all of the Mediterranean. This is what he tells the church at Thessalonica. People saw it. That's it. And that is described from front to back in the Bible as the most potent form of impact that we can have. Not argument, not data, um, but changed lives. Mm. Mm. And uh, that should be encouraging to us. Oh, no doubt about it. Because God's still in the business of changing lives and he's pretty good at it. He is. He is. <laughs> yeah. And I think, Scott, too, about, you know, my own times of suffering, you've experienced this in your life and your family as well. And and it does. It, it prompts you to um, change your priorities. Uh, change your path to Mm -hmm. one more directed and focused on the Lord. And there is tremendous joy in it. And it's like you're so focused on the Lord that a lot of these things that would concern us regularly are are not even in your vision. That's right. Because you're so focused on Him. And it is a beautiful thing. Beautiful. And don't you find it part of God's grace in His preparation of what may be coming? That's right. Because we've had some training, if you will. Yes. And having gone through that. Yes. We, you know, we, we mistakenly think that um, God's, God's perfect will for us is a painless life here. That's actually not what we see in the scriptures. Okay. Yeah. And so it says, I'll just, it will suffice it here to say that there is no pleasing God without faith in Hebrews. Yeah. Um, if that is true, and I, I believe it's perfectly true in every way, then God, our gracious and loving good Father, is interested in a life for us that requires great faith because that's what pleases him. And that is also what impacts the darkness for his purposes, which are good. And so our loving and gracious father, not in a harsh way, but will keep us in a life that requires great faith because it pleases him. Mm -hmm. And it has a way of producing the best possible life for us here in the midst of pain. Um, before we reach perfection in his presence forever. And so that is important to remember as we walk these hard roads. Yes. And I think about, okay, when we think about the supernatural, because that's what it is, joy and peace that you have in those situations. uh, But you have two audiences, people that are watching. You have those who who are believers. Right who are just so discouraged and down. Mm-hmm. And so they are watching because they want that same experience that you have. Mm-hmm. So you have an opportunity there to pour into their lives, right? Encourage. But then you also have that hostile cu- culture. Yes. The ones who don't don't love Jesus, don't like Jesus, and mm-hmm. don't love anyone who bears the name. Uh, but it's a, two different types of impact because some could even come to know him as a result, right? Absolutely. It's seen, we yeah. see it all the time. We yeah. see it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the beautiful stories that we see from tragedy are stick stick out in my mind. Someone, mm. someone dies from a tragic accident mm. or about with brain cancer, mm-hmm. whatever. I, mm-hmm. I've, I've known these people. Yeah. And at their funerals, they will tell stories of lives impacted through the pain of the person that's passed. Mm-hmm. And those are true and they provide incredible comfort to everyone there. It gives purpose and meaning mm-hmm. to pain and suffering. And that is God's grace. Yeah. Visibly. 
Oh, no doubt yeah. about it. No doubt about it. Well, the church in Thessalonica had turned from idols, which were popular in their day. Mm. And it upset the whole community <laughs> that they were right. turning from idols, right? But we think, well, they have idols. We don't have idols, but we do. <laughs> Let's talk about the idols that we have uh, that perhaps we don't recognize as competing for the allegiance that should only be for Christ. Yeah, that, that's what verse 9 says in First Thessalonians 1, for the whole Mediterranean report about you and the kind of reception we had and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And so, oh, of course we have idols. They are pernicious in every culture. Um, they fight for their life. When we sacrifice um, any sacred cow, it puts up a fight, mm-hmm. always does. They never go quietly. And um, they are very, very slippery. And so we tend to think mistakenly that because we don't go to some temple and bow to a statue that we don't have idols in our life. But that is part of the enemy strategy. We, he, likes, uh, he likes uh, foggy you know, um, idols. He likes vaporous idols that are just as real as any other, but um, we can't identify. And so mm. um, the hard part for Christians today really is about identifying their idols. Yeah. And it yeah. takes hard work, it, actually. And I, I, I'll be honest and say, I'm, I'm always honest, I'll just be vulnerable and say <laughs> that um, I was ill-prepared to excavate my own mm. idols until the past several years. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When I did some um, intentional work in uh, an intentional program in Bible study at our church in a community and really was trained in the word, um, how to really examine my story, um, the points of friction in my story, the responses that came from that friction, the values that that identified, and then the idols that those showed. Mm -hmm. And doing that work is really important, but it must be intentional. Idols are the kind of things that don't raise their hand and jump up in your attention, you know, they don't want to be identified because they don't want to be killed. Um, And so it does take some intentional excavation and examination. And that is that is really difficult. But the truth of the matter is every one of us is suffering from idol worship. Our hearts are idol factories. And if we don't give our hearts attention to the one true God, it'll make an idol out of anything. Yes, yes. And, and, And those things that we think, well, if I lose that, I can't handle it. We truly have to have open hands and That's let right. God take everything mm-hmm. so that we truly only have him yeah. in order for us to to really release those those idols, I think, in our lives. By, by way of example of how difficult this can yeah. be, I do a lot of teaching. My wife and I do a lot of teaching when it comes to parenting. Mm-hmm. And one of the big problems mm-hmm. in parenting is parents who idolize their children. Oh, my goodness. And how you're thinking, what children? That's a good thing. Well, yeah, (laughs) idols are never made out of bad things. They're made out of good things that are not ultimate things. And um, so, yeah, parents can make idols out of their kids. Yeah. Yeah. And we can make idols out of success. We can even make idols out of ministry. Yes, 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 yes. How would you define idol? Um, It's any any non-ultimate thing that is sitting in the only chair 
reserved for the ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. So our, our hearts are, are kind of like a, a throne. Mm-hmm. The, scriptures, mm-hmm. the scriptures describe it that way. Mm-hmm. Only God deserves to sit on the throne. Anything mm-hmm. else that sits on the throne, even temporarily, is an idol. Amen. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> well, you know, we find ourselves waiting and longing for the Lord to return, just as the church in Thessalonica Uh, But until he does, we recognize that his delay is more so uh, so that others may come to know him. Uh, His his long suffering is incredible. You say there are things that we underestimate as we wait. Could you speak to those things that we underestimate about the times that we're in and, and what we are waiting for? Yeah, unfortunately, it's just part of our finitude you know so we um we see through a mirror dimly right Mm. we do not Mm. see perfectly the face of jesus or the will of god um and even when we have been there ten thousand years as uh, in heaven as the hymn goes we will still just be scratching the surface of knowing god i mean because he's infinite and infinitely good and so even an infinity with him will still be at chapter one which is kind of a glorious idea but i think underestimation is one of our Chief, the chief problems of the followers of Jesus, myself included. Number one, I think we underestimate the love of God. Um, yeah. And um, it, we see that just because we doubt it so much. Mm. Could, could God really love me? I've messed up. He knows I've messed up. And could could God really love me? I think we underestimate the, the love and grace of mm. God, the bounds of it, mm. um, which, which recalls us to great meditation on that. I think we also underestimate the power of the gospel. And Mm. we see this when we say uh, that that guy cannot be redeemed. That woman's story can never be changed. She's gone too far. He's gone too far. No, the power of the gospel resurrects the dead Mm. and um, can change the the most desperate of stories. Yes, Um, yes. I think the the hardest one for me personally is that I think right now, um, particularly, we underestimate evil Mm. and um, the slippery, shadowy, pernicious um, strategy of evil to Mm. take out the followers of Jesus, to destroy faith. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters Mm. in that, you know, black is white kind Mm -hmm. of book says the the older screw tape to the younger wormwood he says um the degree to which we separate the patient from the enemy which is jesus is the only thing that you need be concerned with don't try murder when television is just as good and so the degree to which he separates us from intimacy with jesus he cannot take our salvation away but he can take our impact our joy away in this time and so he wants to separate us and i think we underestimate the ability and strategy of evil in our day i think we also underestimate um the target Mm. of our enemy and the way that he targets and specifies and we we underestimate the enemy himself so we can just Mm -hmm. make Mm -hmm. this simple we underestimate god's goodness and character and we underestimate the devil's um deceitfulness and strategies wow and we are wise to learn as much as we can about both we need to understand the enemy correct and we need to be discerning, keep our eyes open, mm-hmm. because he's on the prowl, isn't yes. he? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, it's very good, very good. 
you know, boldness to share the gospel in times <laughs> of persecution or even in times of just discrimination that we see daily here in America. Uh, it can be difficult for mm. us as believers, right? We don't want to be disliked. We don't want to offend, We, etc. How can we prepare our hearts to be courageous and our minds to be ready? I've struggled in this area, um, even as a pastor. Um, boldness was something that on paper I loved and appreciated and knew that I wanted to emulate, but in reality was fearful because I yeah. tend to struggle with people pleasing and approval seeking, mm. um, codependency in some in some ways. And so boldness has a way of, of pushing you out of a crowd, not yeah. hiding you in a crowd, obviously. And so that was difficult for me. Um, and courage and boldness um, are, are cousins, you know. And so yeah. I think now, um, well, in, in many ways, I, I just see it all through the scripture, courageousness or boldness is is born out of two things, I would say, mm -hmm. identity and calling. So when a person knows who they are, and when a person knows what they're supposed to do, um, that affords them great boldness and courage. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I was okay with my calling mm -hmm. to make it personal. Mm -hmm. um, my early mentors in ministry in the first few years of my life as a believer um, really instilled, because five minutes after I trusted in Jesus and understood the gospel, I clearly felt mm -hmm. him calling me to mm -hmm. serve him by, uh, he, what he said to me in that time was the rest of your life is going to be about the Bible and people because I didn't have categories to understand much else. So um, I I developed a, a, a boldness in my calling. Yeah. What I was lacking was a boldness in my identity. Mm. Um, and when I began to identify that and um, provide the the tension and coupling of identity and calling, then I found that my overall boldness in evangelism, yeah. in just speaking the truth when it was unpopular, in differing from the 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 you know approved um, cultural opinion, mm -hmm. um, my my boldness grew by leaps and bounds. Mm. So I think that boldness is born of identity and calling, and when we yeah. get those in Jesus, both absolutely, we have great boldness. Yes, yes. <laughs> Our identity in Christ resolves a lot of issues. If Correct. we would just hang on to that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and just in one more comment from you, if you would, just mm -hmm. briefly, how do we balance truth and grace? Uh, in our approach in sharing the, yeah. you know, when, when the culture is hostile, right? How do we how do we make sure that we are giving them grace and love? I, I like the way you answer uh, ask the question because it helps me with my answer. Mm. First of all, I would say I'm not a big fan of the idea of balance in many ways, mm -hmm. um, and here's why: because I, I mm -hmm. think we borrow that a little from Eastern religion, um, and what I don't see is a balance in the scriptures, particularly in just one example in the character of God. He is not the lion and the lamb. He mm -hmm. um, he's not a balance between the lion and the lamb as what I should have said. Um, he's both. He's a tension between the two. Yeah. So he's not holy and merciful uh, as a balance. He has a tension between perfectly 
holy and perfectly merciful. And so what I'd like to say instead is to maintain and to identify the tension between truth and grace. Yes. Because it's not 50-50. It's not a balance of scale. It's it's both. Um, like Jesus' divinity and humanity, it's both. And so to be 100% truthful without mm-hmm. compromise mm-hmm. is not the enemy of being gracious, patient, yeah. merciful, listening, um, um, you know, just enduring and persevering with yeah. the person that we're talking to. And that is mm. so rare today in Christians for some reason. They think that an, a, um, a statement of truth has to be harsh and has to be, um, you know, f- fist pounding, etc. cetera. Um, but uh, the tension between the two, the church will gain a lot yes. by, by uh, rediscovering that. No doubt about it. Wow. Well, this has been powerful, Scott. We'll have to have you back (laughs) and continue our discussion. Uh, I know our listeners have been blessed. And we thank you for joining us. You can go to gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu. And learn more about Grace School of Theology, Grace Center for Spiritual Development. And remember to tell others about saving grace. The love of Christ can never be earned and it can never be lost. See you next time. You've been listening to Saving Grace. For more information about Grace Center for Spiritual Development or this program, visit our website at gsot.edu center or download the Grace app through your smartphone. Views expressed on this program may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.